We're starting a new series tonight. It's called Those People, parentheses, Those People. All of us know those people, don't we, who can be uh, aggravating, irritating, obnoxious, wearisome. Can you all think of another word? Preacher, no. Those people. Tonight, specifically, we're going to talk about overly needy people. And I think probably we need to preface all this by saying, whatever kind of people that we talk about, there's a high likelihood that we're one of those kind of people, at least at times, right? So when we kind of begin to describe and look at what God has to say about those people, bear in mind that when we're asking people to make a mental list of those people, that you and I might be on that list. In fact, it's it's likely. When we think about overly needy people, almost immediately our mind goes to those who are financially uh, distraught and who don't have enough to get by, who can't make ends meet, who uh, have more bills than they have uh, uh, money at the end of the month. But that's not exactly what we're going to look at tonight. We're talking more about those folks who are emotionally needy who are always racked with drama. You know what I'm talking about? Every time you see them, there is a major, major, major struggle slash drama in their life. They're never at peace. They're always the victim. You can talk to them uh, and have a nice conversation and at the end of the conversation, say, we're good, right? Everything's okay. And five minutes later, they call you back. And if you're smart enough not to answer, they'll leave about an eight-minute voicemail on your phone saying, when you said, were we all right? I didn't think about this, and here's what's wrong, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and if you don't help me, I'm going to... You know what I mean, right? Anybody here know somebody like that? Come on. You know me. (laughs) look at the person on your right. And since that person is probably not an overly needy person, just say, you complete me. Oh, it's so weird to say that to another guy, isn't it? (laughs) And look at the person on your left, because that person probably is overly needy. And just say, you deplete me. It's kind of true, isn't it? In relationships, there are some people who just who make your life better. And there are other people who literally sap the life out of you. Whatever you do, no matter what it is, no matter how far out of your way you go, whatever you do isn't enough. And we just kind of come across those people, and, 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 and there's something inside some of us, and I think maybe this is maybe more of a man thing, although it would be wrong to generalize it that strongly. There's something inside all of us that likes to fix people, right? It likes to kind of help them out. Uh, 
that likes to save them from themselves. And guys, have you ever been in a conversation with your wife or your significant other, and they're telling you all about what's wrong in their life, and and you kind of just kind of listen a little while, and while they're still going on, you say, "Whoa, wait a minute. Let me tell you exactly what you need to do to fix that." You have just uttered the most ridiculous sentence that you've ever uttered in your life when you say that. Because she didn't want to hear that, did she? Here's what she wanted to hear. Let's go eat chocolate ice cream and cry. That's what she wanted to hear. But there's something in us that are sort of, it's kind of like we're, we don't know when to say, I'm going to stop. Because when needy, overly needy people reach out to us, it makes us feel good about our ability to fix things. Now, uh, nothing wrong with any of that. In fact, uh, uh, it, it's a good thing to, to have a compassion for other people. It's, it's a good thing to, to want to minister to them in their times of hurt and in their times of problems. But if you don't do it in a healthy way, If you don't know when enough is enough, it's likely that those overly needy people are going to mess your life up as well. And so we're going to talk just for a few minutes tonight about a healthy way over against an unhealthy way. And the first word I want you to think about tonight is the word relief. And I think we're, as a church, matter of fact, as a country, we're really good at what I call relief, which is immediate and temporary assistance, relief. Somebody has a tragedy in their life. Somebody finds out they have cancer. There's a death in a family. I mean, we've got the casseroles ready to go, right? We, we are so ready to help them. Uh, we're there for the funeral. We're there at the graveside. But sometimes we're not there in a week. There's a tornado or a natural disaster that happens. Man, we're on that. We're we're going to the store and buying paper goods and canned goods and shipping it there. Sometimes we go ourselves to help with the cleanup. A flood happens. I mean, you name it, something really catastrophic, bad happens, and, and, and we're there to offer relief. It's a good thing, but the fact of the matter is in the lives of overly needy people or really needy people, more often than not, it's not just relief they need, it's something we'll call tonight restoration. And restoration is working with people to restore to them their God-given potential. It's written in your notes. Restoring them to their God-given potential. To be the person God created them to be. And the reason we're not as good at restoration as we are with relief is that restoration is a long-term commitment. It lasts a while. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort. Ever work with an addict? They'll have a day in which they seem like everything is conquered. They're able to stop. They're able to move forward. Three weeks later, they've fallen back. 
And you got to work with them. Go to a meeting with them. Pray with them. Work with them. Get them to whatever you have to do. But it means more than just a one-time commitment. Somebody comes up to you and says, you know what, I'm broke. I need some help. More often than not, we just kind of want to throw money at the situation. Don't have anything to eat. We bring you something to eat. When a better approach might, instead of throwing money or immediately delivering food, that really may need to happen, but a better approach might be, let me help you find a job. Let me help you to, to, to dig your way out permanently in this situation. And so many of us aren't willing to go the extra mile for restoration. So many of us aren't willing to go to those who are spiritually needy and say, you know what, I'll pick you up every Sunday and bring you to church. Or if you've got a car, I'll sit with you every Sunday and I'll go out of my way to make sure you get the spiritual help that you need. We're more interested in a quick fix rather than something long-term. So, you meet up with an overly needy person, and you're saying, you know what, I've heard this really good sermon at church, and now I know that I just can't give them immediate relief. I've got to work with them to be a restorer. How are you going to transition into that type of help giving? I want to give you three things that will help you to get there, and I've labeled these prayers And this week, I want you to pray these three prayers consistently because I think they will help you to help those people. The first is this. God help me to truly give them what they need, not just what they want. Here's the scripture for today, and it happens outside a gate near a pool. Peter and John went together to the temple in the hour of prayer. It's in Acts chapter 3, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from birth, from his mother's womb, was carried where they laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to seek alms from those who entered the temple. Now, immediately we see there were those who gave him relief, because what did they do? They carried him to the temple. This guy in verse 3 sees Peter and John about to go into the temple, and he asks for what? Money. Because that's what most people think is their most important need, isn't it? He asked for money. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, hey, just look at us a minute. And he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He thought a big payoff was coming. And Peter said this, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Instead of helping him out, Peter helped him up. You see that? Instead of giving him what he wanted, he gave him what he truly needed. And I want you to know there's a great big difference between those two things. Most people have a a pretty good concept of what they want, and when they get what they want, they either misuse it, waste it, and it's non-existent. But when they get what they need, 
their life is truly changed. If Peter and John would have given him money, he would have been right there again the next day, begging again and again and again. But instead, using something that only God could do, they gave him restoration. They gave him hope. Be sure that you're giving people what they truly need rather than what they want. Prayer number two, God help me to stay out of your way. This is a good one. God help me to stay out of your way by not continually rescuing people from their consequences. You ever been guilty of being an enabler? You ever been guilty of... uh, making sure that somebody didn't get the punishment that they deserved for their actions. You know who's especially good at that? Parents. How many times have your kid got in trouble at the school and he came home and told you about the trouble or she came home and told you about the bad grade and and, and he might have said, well, you know what? It wasn't fair. This guy did this, and it caused me to do that, and I didn't mean to do that, and and the principal jumped all over me, and he treated me like a dog, or or maybe that cute little princess said, you know, I was really wanting to make a good grade, but the teacher, she stunk. She just didn't teach very well. She was over here saying all this, and I could never understand, and you said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the school right now, and I'm going to have a big sit-down with that principal, and I'm going to set him straight. Sometimes we want to make sure that those we love or even those who we come in contact with, we think we're doing them a favor if we can help them avoid the consequences. We can help them avoid the consequences. I really wish my dad would have been that kind of dad. Can I tell you what happened to me when I was eight years old? Anybody here tonight eight years old? Listen to what happened to me, honey. When I was eight years old, my uh, father uh, disciplined me for breaking a rule of the house. I can't even remember what I did. It was such a small, insignificant thing, and I probably really wasn't even guilty, but I got disciplined for breaking a rule of the house. And so at the end of the discipline, I went back into my room and, and, and got my backpack and started to fill it up with all my earthly belongings. And I marched back out to where my father was in the living room, and I said, I want you to know I'm tired of this stuff. I've had it. My time here is over. I'm going to run away. My father said, that's fine, but you're going to go out into the world, out of this household, the same way you came into it. Now, I don't know how to tell you this other than just to say it this way. You can leave, son, he said, but you're going naked. And so he set me out on the front porch of the house, eight years old, completely naked, and we lived about a mile from the airport. And so I did what anyone would do. I ran to the backyard and covered myself. If I was going to leave home, I was going to have some consequences. I was going to go naked. Can I tell you, I thought that over rather quickly and decided to live on there. But so many times when we try to help people, what we're really doing is enabling to continue to be needy and never get fixed, right? Amen? 
And some of us, I meant to say this earlier, some of us, we never know when enough is enough, do we? We never know when to cut somebody off. Had a guy who came to our church in Hillsborough, and let's just say he had a, a lot of chronic problems. He was addicted to pain medication, among other things. He was just kind of socially inept and just going from one mess in his life to another mess in his life. And one night about 9 o'clock, his wife called me and said, my husband, said his name, needs to come see you and talk to you. I've had it with him. I, I can't stand to listen to him anymore, yada, yada, yada. Can he come up and talk to you? Now, I didn't really want to talk to the guy right then, but I'm the preacher. I had to, you know, I wanted to be Mr. Fix-It. I said, yes. So about a half hour later, this guy shows up on my front porch to talk to me with his suitcase. He didn't talk to me. He moved in. I mean, literally, can I stay a few days? My wife's had it with me. Well, it took me about 30 minutes to understand why she'd had it with him. Two days later, it was Sunday morning. I said, are, are, are you uh, uh, able to go to church? She said, no, no, I'm so sick this morning. My stomach's killing me. I can't make it. But he made it to the restaurant at noon to eat lunch with us. He'd had a recovery. He'd had a healing. <laughs> he kept eating my food, drinking my water, flushing my toilet, on and on and on, living in my house, causing trouble, really. And finally, after about four days, I'd had enough. I didn't really want to kick him out. You know what I told him? I said, the lady who cleans our house is going to be here at 6 in the morning, so you're not going to be able to sleep to 11. You're going to have to get up out of the bed and help her or at least get out of her way. He left that night. But isn't that irrational that I would have let a guy move in? And I guarantee all of you have done something similar. We don't know when enough is enough. Number three, God help me remember that I am in need too and that you are always the answer. I don't know if you've ever moved in with a preacher, but that doesn't mean that you're not in need. And it is really, really, really easy, I think, to see need in other people and really, really difficult to acknowledge it in our own life. There was another father depicted in Scripture, matter of fact, depicted as God, whose son went to the far country. Remember that? And instead of the father going to the far country and relieving him of his consequences, he waited until the son came to his senses and came home. And God the Father was standing with open arms. May I remind you tonight that for the deepest, most powerful, most anguished needs of your heart, that God the Father's there. And if you're one of those fixers, who are constantly helping those people, would you also remember tonight that you're not the answer? You may like to think of yourself as a functional Savior. 
You may like to think of yourself as, as somebody who can do what only God can do. But if you think you can fix everything and everybody, then your God isn't very big. You see, it's not what you can do for them. It's whether or not you can point them to God. It's whether or not you can come to God tonight. Bears reminding you again tonight, you're not the Savior. Jesus is. And the greatest gift of restoration that you and I can do in anybody's life is to point them to him. What I want you to know tonight is that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are people sitting in this room with burdens and needs and hurts and grief. Too big for anybody else on this planet to fix other than God. And I know there are those of us who like to think, who like to think that we can be the Savior. And it's highly likely that we might need to be saved too. Those people you and me, overly needy, slightly needing, but always needing Jesus. I ask you to pray with me. Father, right here, right now, we come to a time where we just got to be honest before you. Across this room, are folks who struggle. Sitting in this place tonight, there's somebody bearing a burden. There's somebody looking for help, looking for hope, hoping to get past something, wanting to let go of something, wanting not to be an irritation, a burden on others, trying to start again. Help them to see that only you can cause that to happen. Help them to know in their hearts and in their lives that you're the answer to their problem. You're the salvation, your hope, and your peace. Tonight, sing. And as we sing this hymn of commitment, I want to ask you to do one of several things. You got a problem? Come to this altar. Pray about it. Be glad to pray with you. You want to share in a moment of communion where you can come before God and, and thank Him for dying on the cross so that your problems are covered by His grace sin by his blood share in communion together
Maybe you'd like to give an offering. You're standing back there thinking the music's been so good tonight and the preaching was short. I'd like to give an offering to say thank you for that. Whatever it is God asks you to do, the offering plates or buckets are right here. Whatever it is God wants you to do during this time, don't be shy. Just be obedient. You come.